Welcome back to the Early Way In Podcast. This week we've got UFC Vegas 30. We're staying in the apex for a clash between top five heavyweights and Cyril Gaon and Alexander Volkov. The division's a little tricky with Stipe and John Jones sitting on the sidelines right now, but there is a big fight looming for the winner of this main event on Saturday. We've got a total of 13 fights. We're only going to be breaking down 12, uh, 12 of them for you guys with the late addition of Orly Alves' opponent. But if you're hanging out with us, do us a favor as always. Hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. We got back on the right side of things last week there, and I'll let you go over all of that. But uh, before you do, man, hat looks good on you. I appreciate it, man. <laughs> it is weird wearing the hat, but uh, I can accept picking Ige as the wrong fighter. It wasn't a, a fluke win by mm-hmm. any means. TKZ definitely showed up. Um, but it does feel great to go back positive, man. Mm-hmm. You know, we had had a couple of rough weeks before that, so this was a big one for us. We started off with our play on Verna Jandaroba, which was honestly probably our easiest bet of the night and one that we should have hit a little harder. I know it was one that we kind of... Uh, drew took, back a little bit. Yeah, drew yeah. back a little bit on, but afterwards, man, that was our probably our best play of the night. Then you move on to Josh Parisian, which we added a little bit more to, yeah. and we probably shouldn't have, but like I texted you that night, we deserve that. We've yeah. been on the wrong side of a lot of shitty decisions, and I feel like we deserve that one. Absolutely. Then the uh, Procopio fight, man. You know, a- after that performance, she's kind of made my all-time fade list. Yeah. Like she ended up kind of just rolling onto her back a couple of times in that fight. It was uh, that was really disappointing. It was. The Choi by TKO was our saving grace, man. I knew it from the first exchange. Oh man. my gosh. I mean, he was the far superior striker in there, just much crisper, and that uh, chin of Juliana Rosa just couldn't hold up. Um, then we went for the Vera inside the distance, which would have been the cherry on top of the night. But, so close at the end. Uh, Davy Grant, just a little too tough. And uh, I mean, if anything, he's a, he's a tough guy to finish, yeah. but Vera did deliver for us. Um, then that Bruno Silva versus Terman under two and a half. It's another one we kind of held back on, yeah. uh, regrettably. But uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm glad that we played it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, then lastly, the parlay, which was, uh, man, looking really good. Matt Brown, you know, he really screwed us. Uh, I know Lima early on started landing those calf kicks, but kind of six hundred before the knockout live paid the price yeah. by not getting the savvy veteran out of there. Yeah. You know, Matt Brown ended up finding his timing and. Yep, that's that. Yep. <laughs> uh, we ended the night plus 1.69 units, so no complaints at all from that's us. Right. Um, we really do have a great night of fights. And like you said, I'm pretty sure Lewis, Francis, John Jones will all be tuning into this one. Uh, that'll be their next opponents in the years to come. Absolutely, man. Uh, let's not waste any time. We'll jump right into the lightweight division where we see Yancey Medeiros, who's 15-7, and seven, taking on the Bosnian bomber Demir Hadzevic, who's 13-6. and six. You know, there's a reason why... This is Medeiros' 15th fight in the UFC, and he's opening up a fight night card, you know? Uh, he's He kind of reminds me uh, of a uh, younger Nate Diaz, and a barely younger, he's 33 years yeah. old, Nate Diaz, uh, who just takes a lot of damage. He can he can stick inside the pocket and really land some good shots, but uh, he's now been KO'd four times now, and 33 years old, it really doesn't look too bright as far as his future. Um, he's only a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and training out of there, at, out there in Honolulu, Hawaii. I don't think he really gets those those good looks right. like like we want our fighters to get. And now in Demir Hadzevic, you know he's training out of Arte Suave, where Penny Kinziad uh, trains as well. He's kind of similar to somebody else we'll talk on the card uh, later on in Charles Rosa, where if he doesn't have a, a path to victory in his ground game, he's kind of like a fish out of water yeah. on his feet. Um, 
this is a tough fight to call. I think I'm going to go with Demir here, but it's not one that I'm looking to bet on, even though it is the first fight of the night. Yeah, man, I'm going to side with Demir as well on this one here. Excellent matchmaking in the UFC's uh, work here. An absolute must win for both the guys, too, here with, with Yanti Medeiros. He's found himself on the L3, you know, but there's one thing about Yanti, man. The guys, he's going to fight for your money, you know. The striking defense, the fight IQ might not be there, but Yanti's somebody that does fight for your money. He's been knocked down seven times, but he's, he's uh, knocked down his opponents nine times as well. He's in firefights, man, he's, and he's one of those that you're not going to miss when he's in the cage. But, you know, you can't really be losing to Donald Cerrone um, by TKO in the first round. Um, and I know Lando looked good, but man, Lando just, he danced around Yancey, and nothing Yancey was doing was working, and I really felt like that was kind of the point where we've seen Yancey's decline in his career. Um, and now you only seen him fight, you know, once every year, basically, and so you can't really see um, improvements when he's not fighting consistently. I like to see him probably come out here and try to grapple early against Demir. You've seen Demir, you know, been taken down nine times by Alon Patrick six by Yagos. You saw how easy the takedown came from Moicano that led to the, the amateur get-up that got his back taken. You know, Demir on the feet, man, I think he's got the power all day to hurt Yancey, but if he does find himself on the bottom, you know, man, it's it's a tricky fight. Uh, nothing my money is going to be put on with either one of these guys. One's coming off a big layoff, and like I said, one fights for your money, but he's completely untrustworthy with your money. Going to lean Demir Hasovich in the first fight on Saturday, but just ever so slightly. I'm glad that we're not betting this fight because we are seeing it a little bit different. How I look at Demir, you know, I, I do think that he'll be the much stronger fighter, and how I kind of compared Yancey to Nate Diaz. It's one of those like Gumby tall mm-hmm. fighters. He just kind of can get work because he's not the most muscular guy in there. So my, my lean is Demir, and that's only if he winds up on top. But like you said, if he winds up on bottom, Demir's not liking that position at all. And this open as a pick the first time around. Now Demir's at a minus 150. I think you've lost a lot of value on it. Probably exactly. a smart play to pass. Mm-hmm. We move on to the second night fight of the night where we see Charles Rosa, who's 13-5, and five, taking on Justin James, who's 16-7. and seven. Man, there uh, potentially is a pink slip awaiting a loser in the locker room of this fight on Saturday. Neither guy has found much success in their last outings. Charles Rosa there, you know, known from being from Boston and stuff, but it looks like he's done some time at Sanford MMA for this camp on his Instagram. He kind of classifies himself as a, a dangerous black belt on the mat, man, but in the last couple performances, we've seen him dominated on the mat, you know, in his last two losses. On the side of Justin Janes, um, training at Extreme Couture, one of the wrestling coaches there. One of the better debuts of 2020 here, but, um, you know, I was quite surprised to even possibly see him get another chance at the UFC. You know, he's 1-3 currently, finished in all three of these in a row, and, man, it's a tricky fight here. You know, James is always live come round one, and although since his return we've not seen Rosa shoot a single takedown in those four fights, I think his grappling could be the difference here. It's ultimately going to make me lean Charles Rosa here. Um Man, I'm, uh, it's probably going to ultimately be a pass here. Just sign with Charles Rosa. How about yourself? Yeah, man. Charles Rosa is coming off like the worst loss of his career. And it's not due to damage. It's mm-hmm. because you got 30-27 by Derek Minner. It's yeah. a tough one to come back from. And 34 years old, The once again, like Yancey, the future doesn't look bright, right. you know? Um, Rosa's the type of fighter where, again, like if you don't have, if you have a wrestling advantage over him, you're gonna dominate him because he's not that great on the feet. He mm-hmm. still hasn't figured it out on the feet, and when he is striking, he throws one shot at a time, and he just kind of, he's kind of got that style where he takes one to give one. And Justin James is not the kind of guy that you want to trade shots mm-hmm. with, especially like you said in that first round. He's extremely dangerous. 
And it's like just like those four fights leading up to his UFC debut, he's looking for that first round finish. And honestly, I think that it's he's live here. <laughs> and we were looking up the odds before this, and not all of them have come out. But what we do have is Jane's inside the distance at plus two seventy five to plus two eighty. And I think that that's probably the way that I'll be playing this uh, fight. Jane sitting at plus one forty five. I'd be hard pressed. You'd be hard pressed to try and convince me that Jane's is going to outpoint Charles Rosa or mm-hmm. get this nod on the judges' scorecard. So to get him uh, inside the distance at plus two seventy five, I think that that's probably the w- the way to go. Um, as we've seen in the past, Jane's has been outclassed on the feet. Um, you know, in that last fight with Devontae Smith, he couldn't work inside that jab to save his life. Um, but that's not something that I think he's going to have to worry with with Rosa. Rosa's going to have to bring the fight to him. And as long as it's in that first five minutes, James is live to knock out anybody. Um, you know, I don't know if we've talked about the Gavin Tucker fight, but that's one where uh, Gavin Tucker's a better fighter than Justin James. But Justin James put him on skates and mm-hmm. also had him in a couple bad positions in that fight. Um, which makes me think that Janes is live here. So I think officially I'll I'll be betting on Janes, um, but Charles Rosa has the clearer path to victory. Yeah, man, Janes has got more heart than just about anybody on the roster. You see him taking on fights that um, not smart of him to sign and take on. You know, you, you talk about the Devonte Smith, the Mowgli Benitez, both up at 155. Not really his natural go-to weight where he likes to be prepared for. You're going to see him at 145 here where he's had a long camp at Extreme Couture. It's had a lot of success. So, um, you know, I think we do see a good form of Justin Janes here as well. Big superstition person, though, and, you know, Charles Rose has alternated wins and losses since 2014. He's never lost two in a row. And although he is not, like you talked about, on the level of Gavin Tucker, Gabriel Benitez, or Devontae Smith, um, Man, I still think Charles Rose is going to find a way to get it done on Saturday, but I'm staying away. I'm glad that you brought up him being at 145 this time. Mm-hmm. I remember in a James Lynch interview, him talking about how he keeps on accepting these 145-pound fights on short notice, like with four weeks or less. And so those weight cuts are really, really hard on him. And he's not, even if he is making those weight cuts, he's not doing it the proper way. So mm-hmm. to see him on this eight-week camp that he can fully get to that that right weight, you're right. We might see a completely different James that maybe has a gas tank past the second round with you we move on to a women's fight in the bantamweight division where we have the raging panda julia via who's eight and two taking on joljula stolyarenko who's nine four and one uh Villa, she's got a judo and jiu-jitsu base and she's really she's got really good top pressure in wrestling um, and that's definitely the path to victory that she's going to shoot for here mm-hmm. get the fight to the ground as soon as possible and um Probably look to just write it out. Stolyarenko, she's 9-4-1, and one, but that's a pretty misleading right. record. When you look down her, her actual record, she's got so many exhibition matches, custom mm-hmm. rules, Leithway, like uh, She's got well over 20 fights of experience. She also is known for her ground game, but a little bit more submission-based than wrestling-based. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Avia is the A-side in this one for sure. I just don't know about a 3-1 to one dog. And in a sport like women's MMA, knowing that Stolyarenko has the armbar from guard style <laughs> yeah. finishes, uh, it's really tough to, to throw a via in a parlay or better straight or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, so ultimately, just like it, just like we said, whenever this fight first came around, um, we're not going to be betting on this one again. I'm with you, man. Complete pass here. Julia Villa um, trains out of like, what is it? Uh, outsiders combat something like that in oklahoma city your your guess is just as good as mine about right. who she's training with who her coaches are but the ufc's got high hopes for this girl man you know she's um, coming into the ufc her only loss is by an injury during a fight there she was a collegiate athlete 
she'd beaten the tough winner Nico Montano early in her pro career, and then to start off her UFC career with the win over Payne Kai and said, that's aging pretty well, man, you know, and, and then Gina Mazzani with a quick finish with that nasty knee at the middle, UFC had high hopes for this girl, man, that's when she comes in as a huge favorite to 6-6, six and six, Sajara Eubanks, and just flat out drops the ball, you know. Um, you know, you look back at it, and 6-6 six and six is a very crappy record, but all 12 of those girls that Sajara has fought are, are very top, you know, top girls. She's, it's like Randa Marcos' you're right, record. You're right. And um, so somewhat of a pass. She was able to take, um, you know, Avila down and ride around on top, and Avila was not <laughs> able to get off her back come round two or three. And, you know, with all these canceled bouts with Carol Hosa, Nico Montano, and very poor performance against um, Sajara Eubanks, you got to think Avila is coming to here to make a statement on Saturday. Like you said, we're, uh, weren't going to play it a couple weeks ago, you know. Still going to stay off of it again. Um, Jaleja had that scary moment on the scale, man, where she steps back and passes out. That's easily, man, come to, you know, I have to think about a lot of them, but that's one of the more scarier moments that come to my mind, you know, when it comes to the weight-cutting issues and stuff. Prior to that, though, man, she, you know, she's on like a four or five win, fight win streak coming into the UFC. She's looking good. Um, she finishes like 10 or more fights by armbar, and you talked about all the, the dabbling in Lithway and the, the custom rules are three um, three rounds, three minutes, so not really technically counting on her record. But yeah, much more experience than nine and four shows. But she struggles with these girls who are a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger than her, that move well. Um, and I think that's, you know, Julia Vila in this case here. I think Julia Vila probably takes a book from the Yana Kunitskaya, puts her up against the cage, uses that athleticism, uses that strength, and Man, uh, you know, like a lot of women's bantamweight fights, which I think hit the scorecards more than any other division in the UFC, this one probably goes to decision as well. I couldn't agree more. We take a step up to the men's light heavyweight division where we've seen Marcin Prachnia, who's 14-5, and five, taking on Ike Villanueva, who's 18-11. and 11. Both guys are on the chopping block that last time out, um, you know, and both of them came up with a win in their last performance as well. Prochnio, guy from Poland, you know, previously trained with the champ and John Blockowitz a couple years ago, but now does a lot of his camps out of the Netherlands and stuff. Where you see Ike uh, doing a lot of his work in Houston, man. He, you know, he works at a four-ounce fight club with Daniel Pineda, who's later on the card, does a lot of work at Main Street Boxing and Muay Thai, where you, uh, where you see Derek Lewis training out of there. Man, 225, minus 200, minus 225 on Prochnio. Is quite criminal. He should never be a minus two hundred against anybody on the UFC roster. But at the same time, man, I, I, you know, if he shows up the way he did against Khalil, I think this is a fight that he can win. Um, more, I guess, playable play on this fight for me. I'm looking at maybe Ike inside the distance or Ike by TKO, just because we've seen the chin issues of Prochnial. But I think the smartest to play, man, is just to preserve the bankroll and probably stay away. Um, man, uh, gun to the head gonna go with Prochnial, man but I think the value side is probably Ike how about yourself yeah I uh couldn't agree more I think I'm taking Prochnial, uh but this fight has trap written across it mm-hmm. in big red letters man um Prochnial, he is coming off one of the more surprising upsets of, yeah. of, of this year um and beating Khalil Roundtree he was 0-3 before that with all of them coming by first round lost and his four fights or um, prior to the UFC all of his wins were coming by first round knockout too uh, which is just something that you don't like to see because you're not sure how they're going to look in those later rounds. But if he does stick to that measured approach that he took against Khalil Roundtree, mm-hmm. you're right. This could be a relatively easy night for him. Um, he's a karate black belt, and you can 
You really can't see it. <laughs> you really can't see it. You know, he's one of those guys that'll literally duck his head and just kind of run in with yeah. some hooks that are wild. And um, he doesn't have the chin to back it up either, which is something that you don't love to see. <laughs> you look at Idril and Oeva's side, like, he has a full-time job outside of the UFC. Blue-collar Mexican. <laughs> yeah, dude. He's not going to have the technical striking to make somebody like Marcin Pracniel pay, I don't think, you know, barring that big overhand right that he has. And we've seen that, that huge power against uh, Rashad Coulter in his fight before the UFC, but he's really only finally gotten to see it in, in the most chinniest fighter in the UFC in Vinicius Morea. Um, you can't kick punch. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's funny that you brought up him training with Derek Lewis because he is one of those guys very similarly that doesn't have much other than power but can mm-hmm. still get it done. And yeah. that's why we he has an 18 and 11 record. Um, this, like we, like we talked about, is not a fight that I'd be betting on. I don't recommend betting on it at all, even mm-hmm. if you have a lean towards one side. I don't think that there's... Uh, too much value on these low-level heavyweights or light heavyweights. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is Marcin Pracniel's fight to lose, and definitely could be the uh, the pink slips for either guy if they lose. Yeah, man, Marcin definitely needs to look to keep that range. Um, he does have a little bit of a karate, like you said, background, so it's a little bit there in his base of his striking. He's real wide. He'll throw the long, you know, kick from the backside and stuff. But you're right, man. It's just a lot of head down, swinging overhand rights and. Um, you know, walking straight into hooks from people like Sam Alvey and stuff. And, man, I, he, he's been finished, you know, plenty of times himself. He doesn't have the greatest chin in the world, but he is he's tough as nails, man, and he'll get in your face. And, um, you know, if he does land one of those big hooks, um, and Rajnell does not have the chin or, you know, the history showing me that he has a chin to be able to keep up with someone like Ike if he lands that power. Um, now, that was just supposed to be an absolute layup for Khalil, and he just absolutely dropped the ball here, but... Um, surprisingly, man, uh, for the first time, and I think in his UFC career, I'm going to pick Marcin Prochnia on Saturday to win a fight. Moving on, we go to the welterweight division where we see Michael Prezeris, who's 26-3, and taking on Shavkat Rachmanov, who's 13-0. and Michael Prezeris, a little over two years away and one month removed from a 40th birthday, <laughs> um, making his return against the surging Shavkat Rachmanov. Prezeris, he's a third-degree black belt, and at only five foot six, 170 pounds, one of the widest bodies in the in the UFC, um, his game plan is really simple. You know, he wants to get the fight to the mat, get to, get a sub on you, and if not, get the sub, lay lay there and and ride it out. Um, when it is on the feet, he throws with a ton of power. It kind of resembles, uh, especially his lead left hook, Jessica Andrade. That's what I get from that from that style of fight. Uh, where you look at Shavkat, undefeated fighter from Kazakhstan. He's got a loss on his record after his pro debut that counts as an amateur fight. So, you know, I don't know. Take that with a grain of salt, but I don't know how that happens. Um, He's got a 100% finish rate, so we don't know much about him. And um, I know that he looked great against Alex Oliveira, but how much does that tell you with Alex Oliveira in 2021 or 2020? Um, He's training out of the Olympic Training Center in Kazakhstan, so I know that he's going to have a good gas tank, but we just haven't seen that yet, so... I'm really just guessing there. Um, I'll take Prezeris by decision as my as my play on this fight, just because I don't think that Rachmanov has proven enough at 13-0 to make me want to lay the minus 270 price tag. I feel you, man. Um, has no determination upon how this you know fight is ever going to play out in the octagon, but to me it is quite obvious what the UFC would rather happen here on Saturday. You know, mm-hmm. you've got Prezeris, who, like you said, is a month out from turning 40, taking on the 
new sensation of the welterweight division, you know, who's got all the physical advantages that one could want in a fight. With Michelle uh, Prezeres there, man, um, I feel like a fucking tank, man, you know, it's... His name's Attractor for a reason, you know. He's he's built just like that. He's five six, probably one hundred and ninety pounds outside of camp, um, but he's been on the sidelines for a while. And, and as you get closer to the age of forty, man, and you know, I gotta think that your performances are gonna start decreasing the more time that you put in between um, your performances there. And his last loss, man, it comes to Ismail Nordiev. I can draw a lot of comparisons to that fight, man. Ismail Nordiev is a five ten striker who has, you know. 15 years younger, has a huge reach advantage, and in my opinion is not as good of a fighter as Shavkat Rachmanov is when it comes to the ground game. But you're right, Prisera's man looks to drag you down to the mat. He's super dangerous round one, slings that left hook in. Um, but I think he's just going to have his hands full with, with one of the better prospects that the UFC's got right now. Tra- training out of Kazakhstan, but just a couple days ago he posted something where he was at Sanford MMA training with Henry Hooft, working on the striking, so you know he's getting great work from everywhere. The M1 global scene where you come from, you've seen guys like Mobzar and stuff come from there. They de- they develop you over there, man. You fight good competition, and to see him finishing every single one of those guys, it makes me hopeful for this guy into the UFC. And out Cowboy Oliveira, you're right, you know, his... Um, Today, uh, you know, his cardio is pretty shit, and he, he doesn't have a lot to him come especially uh, round two. But um, Shavkat just, man, put on a little bit of a clinic, man. You know, on the outside, his boxing looked crisp. He had the nice outside leg kick. And when he got in, man, he showed that he had some nice tri- uh, trips and stuff. The Sambo background shows you that, you know, he's dangerous just as much on the mat. I have parlayed um, Shavkat with someone actually on a later fight card that we'll talk about in a couple weeks. Um, but I think the best play here is the fight doesn't go the distance, in my opinion. Prezeris is 10-3, and three, um, and he's a BJJ black belt with a ton of submission threat. Um, but I think if, you know, if he were to, you know, have to work back to his feet or, or Shavkat, you know, works back up to his feet enough, I think we could see the 40-year-old tire out a little bit and not have that gas tank come three, round three. And with the 100% Shavkat finish rate, you know, it, it screams under here. Um, the reason that I think I'm okay parlaying and laying the, the money on Chavcat, someone with a 6-inch height advantage and 10 inches in reach sitting at a minus 240 implies around 70%. And with those kind of advantages, man, you know, I'm kind of all right with um, with saying that he might win 70% of the time. I know Stefan Struve kind of throws a, a little wrench in there losing a bunch of Don't fights. Don't tell Mays. <laughs> but, yeah, man, I think Chavcat's the side here, and, man, I think he has – bunch of potential in the UFC in the future, man. So another reason why I'm laying off of this fight is Rachmanov's uh, willingness to go to the ground. Mm-hmm. I see that happening in the Alex Oliveira fight, and I yeah. think that, that somebody like Prezeris, who's ultimately going to shoot for that over and over again, um, him being as well-versed as he is on the ground and having that top control pressure, I think that that's where I see that, that that's why I'm staying mm-hmm. off, is Rachmanov if he pulls for that ghillie like he did against Alex Oliveira, I don't know if he's going to get it on somebody who doesn't have a neck against <laughs> five foot six Michael Prezeris. And being only thirteen and zero, um, and not really seeing how he's going to perform out of that mm-hmm. second round, um, that's why I'm on the Prezeris by decision at plus four fifty. It's just one of those ones where I'm throwing five bucks on it and hoping to win you know, forty, whatever the hell. And half the fights of Prezeris and stuff, um, laying the minus two forty is it's probably not the smartest thing to do on the one fight, you know, one UFC fight. Shavkat. Right. Right. Our prelim main event of the night takes place in the bantamweight division, where we see Hayoni Barcelos, who is sixteen and one, taking on Timur Valiev, who's seventeen and two. 
very, very underrated fight on this card, man. Absolutely should probably be on the main card, mm-hmm. you know, but um, free uh, to the public there, prelim main event spot. You know, it is actually sitting in a pretty good spot to get a lot of a public's attention here. Um, Barcelos, you know, he's kind of been seen as a division sleeper dark horse for a little while. You know, he's 5-0 and in the UFC, and he's finished three of these wins and inside the distance. Dude's extremely well-rounded. On the side of Valia, you know, much anticipated debut for this guy and high hopes as well. He's one of these Russians who can strike, who can grapple. Um, fantastic record, fantastic level of competition that he's fought. Coached by Mark Henry, trains with a lot of guys up there like Frankie Edgar, um, you know, up in the Northeast, man. And um, very, very good fight, man. Uh, both of these guys, the winner probably might get a number next to their name, you know, come next week. And has a big fight in one of the most stacked divisions, looming ahead of him with the win, man. I think um, the line is wide. The value side is Timor, but I think I'm going to go with Barcelos here, man. How about yourself? It's tough to find a way for Barcelos to lose a fight in mm-hmm. this division, and I think that's why I'm looking to not play, pick a side for mm-hmm. this fight. Because you're right, the value is on Valiev here. Valiev's one of these guys who... In his last seven fights, he hasn't been less than a minus 400, and now we're getting him at almost two to one underdog against anybody. Sounds mm-hmm. kind of ridiculous, you know? Um, but you're right, Barcelos, 34 years old. He's kind of one of those late bloomers in the mm-hmm. UFC where, you know, he is an absolute killer, but is his future in the UFC as bright as some of these other prospects? And that might be why you're seeing somebody like. Uh, like Barcelos get matched up with somebody again outside of the top 15 um, might just be a name builder for uh, for either guy here but I don't think the UFC is going to be crying if Barcelos gets a loss here he's 5-0 and in the UFC and still not ranked and I think that that's just bantamweight for you you know oh, yeah. um, in, in that Taha fight that he had uh, it more or less was Taha just kind of hanging on he like you said he got his fair share of good, decent shots but uh, Barcelos was the one mm-hmm. leading the leading that that dance for sure. Um, it's funny because Barcelos he puts together some of the most impressive combinations while he's on the feet, but I don't even think that that's the most dangerous part of his game. It's right. when he gets the fight to the ground where he's a legitimate black belt, and I think he might be you know I forget the degree of black belt, but he is a legitimate fighter on the ground, mm-hmm. and to be that well rounded, it's going to be a tough task for somebody in Valiev who. You know, he's really fast and has a lot of explosive power, but he relies on his wrestling a lot. And I don't know if he's going to be able to get away with that with somebody like Barcelos. I know that Valiev has trained with uh, people like Elijah Main Sterling in the past, and Elijah Main's been quoted saying that he is ridiculous with his quick tip twitch muscles and his wrestling uh, pressure is very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes this a sleeper fight for me, but the way that I want to play this fight is fight doesn't go the distance at plus 150. Um, I, I don't think that there's too much finishing upside on the Valley of side, but I do think that it could happen against somebody like Barcelos, who mm-hmm. does leave himself open and take some shots himself. And then as far as the Barcelos side, I don't think I can lay minus 220 on him, but I definitely can take plus money on Barcelos piecing up Valiev and banking that Valiev doesn't have the same type of chin that Taha or Saeed Nurmagomedov had. Yeah, man, I, I'm right there with you, and the plus 150 is a little bit tempting. Um, both of them have a lot of finishing upside to their game. Um, Barcelos, um, you talked about his combinations, man, whether he leads with the kick, the uppercut, the right hand, man, it's all so smooth, and he slings a left hook from hell behind it that he's looking to take your head off um, on the mat. Man, he just slices right through people, you know, straight to mount, wraps up the legs the way Khabib does. Um, 
and nasty calf kick. I just, man, I love what I see from Barcelos, you know. And on the side of Valiev, the um, the debut was going just according to plan, you know, and, until Chris Taglioni pulls one of his specials and lets guys, you know, almost get killed and come back, you know, and come back and he and Trevin Jones gets a TKO in round two and it's kind of, I think that could be about why we see the plus 200. You know, if, if he goes out there and dismantles Trevin Jones and gets that win and then does the same thing to Martin Day, it could be a lot closer, you know. But the fact that we've seen Timor Valley of TKO in the feet by someone of far less caliber is probably why we see these odds here. I think Timor should probably look to wrestle a little bit, man. Um, I know he might not want to mess around with Barcelos on the, on the mat, but if he can make Barcelos work back to his feet a couple times... And Brazilians are known to gas a little bit, you know, and, and as he's getting up there in age, not fighting all that consistently, um, we haven't really seen the, uh, you know, the gas tank of Barcelos being needed, um, and, and when it is going to the decision, it's with Taha, where, you know, Barcelos is mainly offense, no defense there, so I think if teamwork can make him work a little bit, things do get a little bit interesting. Um, I'm going to pass on picking a side here as far as making a play, but I'm going to go with Barcelos, man, and I hope he gets a really exciting fight because he's a guy I could watch fight all day long. We kick off the main card in the lightweight division where we see Renato Moicano, who's 14-4-1, taking on the black country banger, Ja Herbert, who's 10-2. Renato Moicano is coming off of uh, one of our favorite KO losses to date <laughs> yeah. against uh, Rafael Faziev. Um but he did take the proper time off, which is something that I, I do want to note. He at least took the six months off to kind of regain uh, his wits about him. I know that he had already uh, paid for it coming back too quickly against the Korean Zombie and immediately getting, uh, or I'm sorry, coming back from the Jose Aldo loss right. and then the Korean Zombie immediately piecing him up. Um, in his last fight against Fazia, it's a weird one, man. We know Moicano has a really good ground game, but here recently it's like, you know, he gets a fighter in Faziev who's a striking coach at Tiger Muay Thai and he decides to, to try and stand and bang with him. It just, it, it's not working out. And in that scenario is why I don't like Moicano at minus 245 here. I don't think that his fight IQ um, is, is where I want it to be for me to back him by any means. Then on Jai Herbert, you know, he's getting that work in at Renegade BJJ where he's the main tra- one of the main training partners of Leon Edwards. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in his game, dude. Yeah, uh, his straight right is the exact same as Leon Edwards' yep. straight left. I mean, it's right down the middle like a piston coming out of I mean, it, it's, it's uh, impressive to say the least. Um, I do know that Jai is a little um, inexperienced on the ground he's only a purple belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu but he does have some physical reach advantages in this matchup that make me think that he is um, a live dog here yeah man this fight is a really really good fight i'm super excited for it it's, it's crazy for me to think that just a couple years ago um you know Hamato moicano was legitimately like two minutes away from a number one contender fight in the featherweight division before um you know succumbing to the guillotine there of um of brian ortega I would put him real close to a title shot, man. You know, he's arguably up two rounds there, and, and now he's at a different weight class of 155, fighting guys like Demir Hastovich and Jai Herbert, who has one UFC fight under his record. You know, not to mention he's lost three of his last four fights, all by TKO as well. Renato Moicano has found himself in a little bit of a tricky spot, uh, much different than it was a couple years ago, but stayed trying true to his game at American Top Team with great training partners there, a lot of, you know, high-level lightweights to get the work in ton of forward pressure and yeah he did decide to strike with Fasiev but there was a couple things man that I took away you know he wasn't lost on the feet he landed a couple good right hands to the body was able to sneak it up high and kind of wobble Fasiev where we 
saw him shoot the one half-ass takedown he did in that fight. He also, um, you know, he's very technical. Everything's down the down the middle with him too. Um, and if you aren't elite, man, Moicano seems to make pretty quick, easy work of you. You know, um, and Jai Herbert. Um, I have it written down here as well, man. It's literally the conventional version of Leon Edwards. You're right. It, it, you couldn't even told me they trained together and watching this guy he fights just like him. You know, he peppers the jab with this, you know, in his case, the left jab out there just looking for the right hand around the guard. He's your Cage Warriors lightweight champion there. Um, and he looked good against Francisco, uh, Francisco Trinaldo until round three. And I don't know if it was a little bit of more of adrenaline dump, cardio, but... Uh, we saw uh, Trinaldo, although he did miss weight in that fight, kind of take over round three and then ultimately land that big shot that put him away. And Herb Dean, I don't know what he was doing, not stepping in and stopping that fight. You know, Herbert took way more damage than he should have there and cost all, uh, what is it? Dan Hardy. Yeah, Dan job. Hardy. I was just about to say you know? <laughs> But um, one big thing here for me, you brought up a jiu-jitsu purple belt. The guy just turned pro back in 2015, late to early 2016 or something like that. Um, he's found a ton of success early fighting those guys and cage warriors and stuff. We'll tell you the guys over at cage warriors in Europe tend not to have the best ground game and stuff to him, you know. And I think that could be his downfall, man. I think if he runs into these guys who are able to to find that takedown on him, I think he can make quick work of them. I am not gonna lay the big price tag on Moicano. I was trying to look at the submission prop. It's plus one ninety or plus one seventy five on Bet Online. Plus 195 on FanDuel, and man, that's just not enough for me to want to take a stab on it at all. It actually makes me want to play the dog in uh, Jai Herbert even more. Um, but ultimately, I'm going to pass. I'm probably going to side with Moicano. I think he gets the submission win. And I just wanted to like throw it out there. Moicano is good on the feet. Like I understand that he outboxed Calvin Cater in 2018. Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's a legitimate win, and probably why he started falling in love with the striking more and more. And the only reason why he resorted immediately to uh, to a submission game whenever he fought Demir Hadzovic on that 2L streak. Yep. Uh, this is just, like I said, again, a guy where he is dangerous enough on the feet that if Moicano doesn't come in with the exact same game plan, or if at least he's not telling me leading up to this fight in interviews that he will be taking it to the ground, I cannot trust him with my money here. I'm right there with you, brother. Continuing on with the main card, we're in the welterweight division where we see Nicholas Dalby, who's 19-3-1, taking on Tim Means, who's 31-12-1. Man, it was really hard to find a fight on this card that you and I were disagreeing on and stuff, but I think we're going to go with this one for the casual cap next week. Um, it's one of the tougher fights on this fight card to cap for me, to be honest with you. Um, with Nicholas Dalby, was already supposed to be scheduled to fight on this card here. He had an opponent to you know, fall out and pull out, so it kind of worked out in Tim Means' best favor just to step back a week here and take a fight. Nicholas Dalby training out of Copenhagen, Denmark. He looks in phenomenal shape on his Instagram here, natural karate style. Taking on the natural boxer here in Tim Means, who was scheduled to fight um, Danny Roberts last week before the COVID incident, and now being pushed back a week. He's a born and raised Albuquerque, New Mexico man. He's got great cardio. He can put on a great pace for 15 minutes and mainly relies on that technical boxing of his. This is, like I said, one of the, the tougher fights for me to call. I think the line, you know, getting closer is more is the appropriate thing. I think this fight is, is real close to a pick and I'm going to side with the with the dog and Nicholas Dalby here, man, to, um, to get it done, probably by decision. I think you're on the other side, though. Yeah, I'll, I'll accept the challenge for sure. It's uh, Like you said, it's not one of either of our biggest leans mm-hmm. on the challenges by any means. I felt more confident in Ige than I do about Tim Means <laughs> this week. Um 
But yeah, Dalby, he's, you know, he's one of those very rare fighters where we see he gets a second chance in the UFC. And then on top of that, he's 34, 35 years old when he gets in. Um, but he's definitely taking advantage of it, man. You know, I know a lot of people did not think that he won that last fight against Daniel Rodriguez. And if you just looked at the stats, he didn't win that right. fight against Daniel Rodriguez. But he is somebody that I actually, I actually cashed on that fight as like a plus 265 underdog. Um, and did what he had to do. He, like you said, karate-style stance, in and out, mm-hmm. very wide stance, and um, did enough, I guess, to point fight his way to victory, right. which is the karate method right there. Um, you know, back in the day, I would have said that Dalby offered a, a takedown threat, but I don't think that that's the case anymore. You know, you look down at his last or his past five fights, and he shot for one takedown mm-hmm. in all of those, um, which is why I think if this stays on the feet, Tim Means with his boxing is why I think he'll get this done. Um, Tim Means, he does, like, on the inside, he has great dirty boxing, but he does kind of leave himself open for counters um, by not keeping his hands up, blocking on, on whatever whatever side he's throwing, he's not blocking that opposite mm-hmm. side, and um, that could cost him, and that would be something that I'd be really worried about if I thought that Dalby had the knockout power that could make him pay for it. Um this marks the 20th UFC fight for Tim Means, and this seems like one of the more winnable ones out of the, out of his last you know few. Um, I do think that uh, you know Tim Means, he's called the Dirty Bird for a reason. His, his fights are dirty, man, and uh, it's not going to be a. I don't think it's going to be a, a clear win for either guy, and it'll probably uh, flip flop during the fight. Uh, more than it'll be one-sided so i am okay with making this a challenge mm-hmm. and it just kind of being one of those ones where we got to pick somebody you know yeah, it is one of those challenges where we're just picking someone mm-hmm. um so that we have one because on the side of this nicholas dalby you know when you're out there getting uh, put away by jesse ronson you know um and then over seven on your takedowns and you know like you said stat wise over seven on your takedowns and outlanded by every single round and strikes by d-rod um Nicholas Dalby, I guess, you know, right now, Tim Means is definitely, um, I guess, you know, hit the strides late in his career that Dalby's just not. Tim Means coming off wins over Star Poli and Tim, or I'm sorry, and Mike Perry, whereas boxing and cardio were just, you know, were the game changers, especially come late in that fight, able to put you up against the fence and rely on that veteran savviness there, man. What I like about Tim Means boxing so much is, um, he doesn't throw it out there to, to injure night every time. He doesn't telegraph anything. It's just peppering you with shots, relying on that volume and that cardio that he's had his whole life there at elevation. Um, tricky one, man, but I think Nicholas Dalby, like you said, you know, he hasn't done it a lot, but I think he does have that wrestling threat that he could take Tim Means down. I think in those clinch positions, we're just going to see Dalby being the more stout, shorter opponent, going to have the good head position, might be able to make this, you know, a dirty clinch fight. Um we're going to go with Nicholas Dalby in the underdog at a plus 120 for our challenge next week. Yeah, I'm curious to see if Dalby can, or if Means, I guess, can get into the boxing range of Dalby because Dalby will be either in or out. Mm-hmm. There's not an, an in-between for him. Um, so, yeah, Tim Means trying to catch him coming in on it with a counter is kind of where I see him having success. Yeah, so we're putting the casual cap on the line for this fight, and I think we're going to agree, go ahead, man, that this is one of the one of the tougher fights, though, on the main card. For call. sure. We move on to a great fight in the featherweight division where we see Andre Touchy Feely, who's 21 and 8, taking on Daniel Pineda, who's 27 and 14. Uh, Touchy Feely's coming off a loss to our boy Thug Nasty. Um, He's a 16 fight UFC veteran, and you know where he stands among active featherweights. Mm -hmm. He's a gatekeeper, man, you know? Um, He -hmm. does have a very spotty record, but he's one of those guys who does not lose twice in a row. And 
you know, judging by that last performance, this should be a clear win for him. Um, Feely does a really good job at mixing in his takedowns with his striking, and that's something that he always has over his opponent is the element of surprise because he doesn't have to rely on either of those parts of his game to get the W. Where Pineda, um, he is somewhat one-dimensional, man. He's coming off of the the loss to the legend himself, Cub Swanson, and um, proved once again that he is a fast starter, and outside of that early finish, whether it be on the ground or by KO, uh, he's fucked, dude. And, uh, you know, I do think that he's probably... Uh, and over his head at this point again, which is why I'm, I'm picking Andre Feely, but it is tough to uh, bank on Andre Feely, who's kind of shown us some inconsistencies over his career at minus 230. I'm with you, man. I'm on the Andre Touchy Feely side as well. He's a guy that trains out of Team Alpha Male forever now, and you look on his social media, he's been doing some work with John Donaher and Gary Tonin and stuff a lot, you know, prepping himself for this fight absolute veteran and and you talk about you know he may not have he's never going to lose two in a row and, and he's losing to a good competition man to Yair Rodriguez to Bryce Mitchell to Sadiq Yusuf these are good guys and you know Sadiq Yusuf and Bryce Mitchell are two of the brighter prospects the featherweight division has um but you can also argue that he might have lost that fight to Charles Jordan you know and could have put Andre Feely on an L3 right now um but you touched on it, man. The guy is extremely well-rounded, and he can strike. He can um, he can wrestle. He's got a great jab, great kicks from the outside, and he's landed a takedown in 12 of his 16 UFC fights. That's in the four fights that he has not landed a takedown. You've seen Andre Feely lose three of those. So the wrestling is a huge portion of his game that he relies on to usually take a lot of decision victories. You know, I think it's nine of his last ten or something that have gone to decision. Mm-hmm. Um He's also got some real skinny legs, man. And you saw Daniel Pineda almost get Cub Swanson out of there in round one with those calf kicks. And I think that's something Daniel Pineda could have a huge success with in this fight. I mentioned it earlier there. He trains at a four-ounce fight club in Houston with Ike Villanueva. And um, on his Instagram, he's not been very active, but he did post something that he's working on the nutrition side of things. And you could tell in the Cub fight, although he looked like a freaking 155er in there that night against Cub, you know, not even the end of round one. He's already breathing out of his mouth and stuff. This guy doesn't have the best of gas tanks. So he said he's focusing on the nutrition side of things and hopefully he has, you know, a second round of gas in him. But at 35, man, he's already, you know, went two and four in the UFC, was over in PFL, popped for performance enhancing drugs. I got to think that, you know, the best fighting days for Daniel Pineda are probably behind him, um, especially if he can't get you out of there in round one. I am looking at the under two and a half plus money in this fight. Um, I know Andre Feely is typically a decision machine, but he's got somebody in front of him in Daniel Pineda who is absolutely not. And if you're going to take a shot on the underdog in Pineda, the dude's never won a decision. He has not seen the scorecard since 2016. So, you know, take him inside the distance if you're going to take a shot on the underdog in Daniel Pineda. But I think, um, you know, with the gas tank issues, you know, Andre Feely absolutely has a a potential to see a finish here. Um, But just solely seeing the finishing side that Pineda has had recently to, to see this under two and a half at plus money. Um, I think it's worth a shot, man, but uh, picking a side, I'm going to go with Andre Feely. I think he gets it done inside the distance, probably second or third round. Yeah, I don't mind that pick at all. We move on to the light heavyweight division where we see Danilo Marquez, who's 11-2, and two, taking on Kennedy and Zechiku, who's 8-1. and one. Danilo Marquez has been doing a lot of work at Kings MMA. Looks like he's maybe moved him and his whole family up to the United States after the recent success he's had. Um, he was brought in off a two-and-a-half-year layoff there on Fight Island after cornering his, I guess, good old pal Shogun there in a fight and has now found himself 2-0, and surprisingly, in the UFC. 
on the side of Kennedy, man, um, trains out of Fortis MMA. He's got one of the best frames that you could ask for in the division. Um, and, you know, he's kind of the exception to the uh, to the Nigerian wave. You know, he um, – I don't think Kennedy is ever going to touch a belt or a top five spot like his fellow countrymen who hold three of the belts. I think this guy lacks a lot of the killer instinct needed. But I will say I think that was brought out a little bit in that Carlos Olberg fight. Um and, you know, with the frame and stuff like this guy has, man, the sky could be the limit if you could just get this guy to flip that switch on him and, and you know, get those skills uh, buffed up some. I'm going to go with Kennedy. I wish I would have got dog money. I think I got it around a minus 105, so I'm still happy with it. Going to go with Kennedy. Probably take a decision win here, man. Yeah, this is a tough fight to call, man. This was actually our, our other option mm-hmm. for our challenge this week. I think I like Danilo Marquez, which is saying it out loud. It's kind of funny, you know. I like him at plus money right here. Um, like you said, he's currently he's on a four-fight win streak, two of those in the UFC, mm-hmm. and maybe the least impressive wins that you could think of. Right. You know, his, his first win against Kadis Ibrahimov. We played Kadis. Yeah. <laughs> that's even more embarrassing to say. He gets a dove over Cotis and then slow Mike Rodriguez. He shows that he, you know, he can get it to the ground and, and get the dub. Um, Marquez, he's he's been on the receiving end of a lot of flack. You know, you look at his record before the UFC, and he didn't fight but one opponent that had a positive record coming into it. Uh, he really just he's a little bit unproven. Um, in the fights that we have seen, he wastes zero time trying to get the fight to the mat. Mm-hmm. He will instantly shoot for that single leg takedown that he relies on quite a bit. Um, but that being said, he does have decent chain wrestling. Mm-hmm. He will consistently go after that, and he'll work it until he is dog-tired. Yeah. Um, on the Kennedy side, yeah, he cashed in big on that Olberg win, which I love because my girlfriend's so big about Carlos Olberg. I love that he got a, a loss right coming into the Knock UFC. Yes. Um, for the weight class, like you said, outside of John Jones, probably has the best frame in there. Um, I knew you'd throw that in there. I know. <laughs> outside of uh, that... that the two and one record, it's it's super weird, man. You think about the the Paul Craig fight where he's winning the majority of the fight and then <laughs> Paul Craig does what Paul Craig does and gets the last second triangle. Then that Darko Stosic fight, that should be a loss on Kennedy's record. <laughs> Thankfully he got kicked in the nuts twice and got him that dub on the uh, on the judges scorecard. And then Carlos Olberg, you know, he had to Homer Simpson his way to that victory, man. He took a lot of punishment from Olberg before Olberg started to uh, suck some wind this is not a fight that i would put a bunch of money on um i personally am gonna play danilo marquez <laughs> but uh i you know i don't blame you if you lay off and just want to sit back and and try and enjoy this one yeah, man um you know if it's not broke don't fix it danilo marquez he makes a living off that single leg man that's the that's like the only takedown entry you see this guy shoot and it's almost damian maya like man you know it works for him and he's perfected it He's dangerous on the mat, and I mean, he like ran straight through Mike Rodriguez on the mm-hmm. mat when he got him there. With the side of Kennedy, he trains out of a great gym who um, you know has a lot of grapplers there from him, and we've seen him, um, you know, face twenty six takedowns in his UFC career so far, and I think he's defended like twenty one of these takedowns. Um, so you know, he's been tested in the wrestling before because when a guy has a frame like that, no one wants to strike with him. They're all going to come out there and try to take him down. So I think that's just been a thing of Kennedy's whole career is defending takedowns after takedowns. I will not go 0 for 3 fading Danilo Marquez. It just is not going to happen. I'm going to pick 
Kennedy and Zechiku, and I've already made a slight play on him here, man. Um, probably a boring fight. Neither one of these guys have a lot of finishing upside to him, unless Kennedy's got a brawler like Olberg in front of him throwing, you know, heavy hands and gas, and he's usually a decision machine himself. Um, Kennedy by decision, man. I don't know if this is if this is why I'm putting so much like stock into Marquez, but I do like the fact that he fought somebody in Mike Rodriguez who's an exceptionally tall, lanky mm-hmm. fighter and was just able to dominate him. And like you said, Kennedy has shown good takedown defense in the past. Um, I just don't know how he's going to fare against somebody who matches him in height that will also be looking to take him to the ground. Yeah. It's something that Kennedy has relied on a lot by using those long limbs to keep it from going to the mat. Um, so maybe Marquez can get that, that single leg up over his hips and, and make him get to the well, mat. And you bring up a good point. Stosik's like 5'10". You know? right. Marquez over here at 6'6". Six, six he's a very big guy as well. So mm-hmm. good point that you bring up right there. We move on to the co-main event of the evening where we see OSP, Ovince St. Prue, who's 25-15, and 15, taking on the bulldozer Tanner Bozer, who's 19-8-1. This actually marks the 24th UFC fight for OSP since his debut in 2013. Easily one of the most consistent mm-hmm. fighters that the UFC has ever given us, fighting over three times a year since his debut. This is his second time at heavyweight, but it is a completely different fight. You know, and that first time whenever he fought Ben Rothwell, that was a huge you know six foot five cut into 265 heavyweight we he's now facing tanner bozer who yeah is a heavyweight but is coming in like steep a um like uh, alexi olenic yeah, yeah you're floating around that 230 range and it's uh it's not a great look and somebody who i think osp could really size wise match up well against um i do feel like osp has really seen a significant decline in his production and success in the ufc but i am happy that he he took off a good six months in between that ko loss from Mm -hmm. jamal hill um he comes out of knoxville tennessee so in in that in that sense you know we love supporting our boys from tennessee um where tanner bozer man his last two fights were rough to want to back him at all Um, i know that this one He's almost to the point where he's fighting for pink slips, and I know that he wants to get this win, but it will be a tall task against somebody like OSP who has the the veteran savviness to to get it done, whether it be on the ground or on the feet. Yeah, man, they can't seem to get rid of the veteran in OSP. You know, every time his back's up against the wall, he reps out a win when he needs it the most, and he's scheduled at light heavyweight here to face Maxim Grecian, so, you know... He's probably happy that it's up at heavyweight, not having to do the weight cut. But getting ready for a light heavyweight fight, you got to think that he was prepared to cut that weight and in pretty good shape coming into this fight. Um, you know, but the one time we have seen him at heavyweight, it was a pretty bad performance on his behalf. You know, the extra weight did not translate into good cardio for him, and he was mouth breathing easily come round two. Man, you drop down back to 205 though, and you look sensational against uh, Minifield. You know, I know I picked Minifield in that fight, and. You know, Minifield landed one or two that, you know, kind of sent OSP a little skating across the octagon. But outside of that, man, looks sensational. The volume was on point. Anytime Minifield stepped into range, he killed him with that up uh, or that front kick to keep him back and cut the octagon off and made him run straight into that uh, left hook of his. It was a Jamal Hill fight that showed me, man, that he really struggles with guys that will put a lot of volume on you, you know. And that's something that I think Tanner Bozer could do. But. Back to OSP side, you know, although he is going up to heavyweight, man, he's 6'3", he's got the 80-inch reach, he's going to be the bigger guy here compared to Tanner Bozer, and he's got a, um, you know, a ton of, like I said, the front kick that he relies on to keep it at range, and he'll turn that front kick into a high kick, you know, just ask Corey Anderson how that is, but um, 
I think you at heavyweight, man. You know, I think I don't think he wants to strike with Bozer. I think he should probably try to grapple. And I don't know if he's going to have that cardio to be able to do that for the amount of time necessary to beat Tanner Bozer over the scorecards. Bozer is looking to, um, you know, get back on track. He's looking for a vengeance, man. He was immediately on social media after that close decision loss to Latifi, asking for another fight, telling you he's going to make up for it. Um, but then, uh, you know, here recently, he's just kind of looked like a deer in the headlights. Um, you know, when it comes to the feet, he's not throwing the way he, you know, used to like he was in the lens and the Pessoa fight and he's found himself on the losing um, losing streak now um, and potentially like you said on the chopping block I expect Tanner Bozer to come out here and put that footwork that movement that speed that he relies on um, and I think he is going to take OSP obviously probably to a decision OSP does not have chin issues like a lot of people say he does but you know, I will say he's not the best at wearing a shot. I guess you could say he kind of does shell up a little bit, but you're never, you're never seeing him going out cold, you know, by no means. I think Bozer's volume probably just going to be a little too much. He's content with kicking the legs from the outside there. Um, I know you don't want to probably play the, you know, the range game with OSP, but a natural heavyweight and Tanner Bozer I think might have a little bit of success doing it. I don't know if I want to lay the minus 150, minus 170, or whatever it is on Tanner Bozer. That is getting a little tricky. What's it sitting at? Tanner Bozer, minus 150 to the minus 170s. It's a little too much for me, in my opinion, especially the form we've seen him in. But I will say Tanner Bozer probably takes this one. Yeah, man. It's it's weird that Tanner Bozer's hype train like literally came to a screeching halt mm-hmm. in these last two fights. But I think the biggest thing that plays a factor in this is experience level. And Tanner Bozer, you know, them having a decade in age difference. Tanner Bozer has been a professional for as long as OSP has been mm-hmm. in the UFC. That's 24 UFC fights that OSP's had to look at by the time Tanner Bozer had his first opponent. Um, I do think that that's, that's not playing in his factor or in his... Uh, to his advantage right. at all um, but you did talk about the the distance strikes in Bozer and I'll I'll admit there is a stat that I have here that's a legitimate one that Bozer actually put on his Instagram this week um, he's neck and neck with Cyril Gaughan at distance strike accuracy both of them being over 50 percent and um, as far as you know shot for shot with OSP that might actually be his path to victory here um, if he does win on volume and kind of overwhelm OSP, I, I would agree with you that OSP has seemed like he doesn't wear shots well. Uh, he doesn't have the volume, and uh, he can he gets hit, man. You know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, OSP does get hit, and although his chin holds up, um, he doesn't react the best to him. So it's like it's weird. Uh, when I opened this up, I was leaning towards OSP on experience, but then I, ta- I take that distance strikes into account and how much volume Bozer does have, and mm-hmm. it. I could definitely see it. I, I'm glad that we are deciding to lay off this fight, but um, it's do or die for Bozer, and OSP is just collecting a check at this point. I'm with you. And in our main event of the evening, we see the number three ranked Cyril Gaon, who's 8 0, taking on the number five ranked Alexander Volkov, who's 33 8. And the winner of this fight potentially is extremely close to a title shot, if not having a massive fight looming ahead of them. Cyril Gaon, um, you know. I guess, ex-training partner of Francis Ngannou, like a lot of people say, before Francis has made the move to the United States. Gon stayed there in France, working out of the MMA factory there, where he's training with Alan Bodeau, you know, and some, some straight killers and mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> but now he has brought in, um, like, a seven-foot, you know, Olympic boxer here to help prepare for Volkov, which is something that you like to see, because you can't just go into a Volkov fight thinking he's like any other heavyweight, mm-hmm. you know. 
on the side of Volkov. Trains out of Russia there, but been putting the t- finishing touches on a Black House MMA there in California. And, man, I have considered him a dark horse for a long time, far before he put on this weight. I remember cashing on him against Fabrizio Verdum, and I've most recently cashed on him against Walt Harris and Alistair Overeem. I think he's a real dark horse of division, and I love that you just brought up that stat in that last fight against Bozer and gone in the distance mm-hmm. strikes, because guess who's number one on that list? Our boy Alexander Volkov, man. I think we see the fight the same way, man. There's a ton of value on the much more experienced, much bigger, much more talented striker, in my opinion, in Alexander Volkov, and I think we're going to take our dog shot on Saturday, man. Yeah, it could be our only play of the night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's not a ton of spots on this card that we love, but we do love Volkov mm-hmm. here. Um, that being said, Cyril Gaon, I'll admit, he's leading the, the pack on, of this like new generation of heavyweights right. that has the size, athleticism, and technique to back mm-hmm. it. He's a scary fighter, and outside of him being 8-0, I don't have many knocks on him. You know, he uh, Since entering the UFC at 3-0, he's put together a five-fight win streak with little to none res- no resistance at all. Um, he does have a, a an extensive Muay Thai record where he's 12-0, a two-time national champion in France. So combat sports isn't new to him at all, mm-hmm. even though the 8-0 record suggests it. MMA is new to him, though. Um I say that to say that Cyril Gaon is, is very well-rounded, and although he does have all the credential striking, he has also shown flashes of a great ground game, as we saw in the Pessoa and the, the uh, Mays fight, Mace, yeah, yeah, the Dontel Mays fight, where, um, you know, if he decide, he's big enough, like uh, Jack Hermanson, if he decides that he wants to crank on something, he's going to make you tap. If he decides to squeeze, he's going to make you tap. Um He's a, he's a unicorn of the division. It just so happens that he is fighting, like you said, the Dark Horse, the Volkov 2.0 here, mm-hmm. you know? Um, after that Curtis Blades loss, he went to the gym, put on 15, 20 pounds of muscles, muscle, and literally looks like uh, a man now. Mm-hmm. He was he had a boy's body at first, and now he is a force to be reckoned with. Um, you, you take a look at some of his UFC losses and Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades, and you run those fights back, I take Volkov 10 out of 10 times. Especially in that Derek Lewis fight. Oh my gosh. Seconds <laughs> away from winning it then. Exactly. And I honestly think that that 20 pounds of muscle would be enough to uh, wear out Yeah, wear out Curtis Blades after 12 you know, takedown yeah. stuffs to where he would actually get that finish in that fight. I think Volkov is one of the guys who really utilizes his size, and he's big enough to where Cyril Gaon isn't going to be able to get in and out of range like he does with a lot of these other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, I think my biggest reason why leaning for to on Volkov is his experience level. The, the Gaon has not been tested yet, and Volkov has been tested, and we've seen him make those adaptations by adding mm-hmm. on that more weight. Um Volkov has learned his lesson, and Gon has not yet had to uh, to learn a lesson yet. And I, I think that's ultimately why we're leaning Volkov. And fuck, plus money right now, we will let that keep climbing. But I think that that's what we're leaning on. Yeah, man, I, I was quite shocked to see Volkov, um, you know, open up as a dog and and foresee all this money to come in on Cyril Gon the way it is. But it's a little worrying. It is a little worrying. You're right because he maybe thinks that at a lot of sharp money that's out mm-hmm. there on Cyril Gon, but. I see what those sharp people see as well, man. I, I like you said. I think he leads the pack of the the new heavyweights and stuff like that. You know, he's dismantling uh, Junior Dos Santos. Protest it all you want. You know, knocked you out clean and gets a you know a main a main event against Jair's and Ron- Jair Rosenstroik. And man, it's 
Like, it wasn't tested whatsoever. You know, Rosenstroik did not throw a single punch. Um, there was 144 strikes landed in a five-round fight between those two heavyweights, and 69 of those 144 were leg strikes. 50% of a heavyweight fight, freaking leg kicks. I mean, you keep... Gone has not had anybody throwing back his way whatsoever that's caused him any type of trouble. Um, and, you know, he does have that takedown threat, but it's not the takedown threat of Curtis Blades and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see Alexander Volkov giving up very many takedowns to Cyril Gone, And Volkov's just hit his stride, man, after dismantling Walt Harris and over him the way he does. It is going to take a force to get Alexander Volkov out of there. He's got great feints, man. Disrupts you with that inside leg kick, the timing. And his, ac- his punches... Dude, six seven. He he knows he doesn't have to put the power on you. He can pepper you with the jab. He can come around the guard with the shots, and eventually that volume is just going to be enough to get you out of there, man. I think there's so much not only just value on the one who's got forty one fights versus the one that's got eight fights. I truly think Volkov is more talented on the feet here, more technical. Um, and anytime Cyril Gon steps into range, man, I think he's going to catch something up the middle from Volkov on Saturday. So here's my question. We fucked up on the Rosenstruik Gon under by playing that last time. We now see another heavyweight fight set at four and a half rounds, and it's a minus 110. Does that interest you? To an extent, because it's heavyweights, and I think you play that numerous times, you come out on top profitable, but... Um, I think the better play, because he's plus money at plus 140, is just to take your shot on Volkov, man. Um, Sirogan's not the type to put himself in danger a lot. He's content with staying on that outside. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think if Volkov wasn't plus money, it'd be more tempting to take. But the fact that we can get the 33-8 and eight fighter at a plus 145, it, it's stupid to me. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I'm glad that we're both on Volkov. and. Yeah, I think I learned my lesson trying to bet gone unders. Um, yeah. From here on out, I'll just I'll just let that fight happen and either pick him or the the guy he's facing. I'm with you, man. That wraps up all the twelve fights there. Worley Alves also got himself an opponent as well. Didn't get to cover that fight, so there is thirteen fights on Saturday night, and um, not alike a lot of the past main events. But we are agreeing on this one here. Hop in the comments, let us know what you guys think on the main and co-main event. Our challenge, it was hard to find one, man, um, but I am going to side slightly with the underdog and Dalby and let you take means so we can at least have something on the line mm-hmm. and someone's wearing that hat next week. But there's a fight of the night, man, that people need to pay attention for. What's that one going to be? That one's got to be the sleeper fight of the card in Valia versus Rayoni Barcelos. Mm-hmm. I think that that is guaranteed fireworks and one that I'm also looking to play the under plus money on. Yeah, well, I think it's a 16-1 versus a 17-2 fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolute killer fight. For me, it's going to be Feely and Pineda. I know Feely goes to a lot of decisions. Pineda absolutely does not. And when Feely has that dance partner in front of him, like Shaman Marais and stuff like that, mm-hmm. Feely's got the dog in him that he likes to fight as well. And I think that one is going to be a killer fight, one that I've already played the under in myself as well. For my fighter to keep an eye on, I'm going to go ahead and go with Shavkat Rachmanov. You know, he's 13-0 with 100% finish rate. Um, there's a lot of question marks around him as if he's going to live up to that hype, you know, if he's going to continue to be undefeated. I think the guy has the skill set here, and I think he's getting um, a very good test in someone who's you know a very t- experienced ten and three UFC fighter that could offer him some holes. You know that we have see if he needs to patch up or not yet. Yeah, and at forty years old, it's definitely um, passing on the torch right mm-hmm. here. They're looking for Shabtap to get this win. Um, my fighter to watch has got to be Tanner Bozer, man. Uh, Bozer, he's fighting for his life here, and he I know he wants this fight, and he's going to have to deliver to keep his uh, spot in the UFC. 
Easy one for us. I um, think we're going to stick with the underdog, give you the same answer here in Volkov. We think it's flat out insane that he is an underdog to begin with. Not only do we just side for him to win, but to get that plus 140, plus 145, I'm going to sit there till weigh-ins, and hopefully we even get a better number on that. I agree. What's your best bet on the night for Saturday, man? My best bet's going to be that Valia versus uh, Barcelos under. Mm-hmm. I love it at plus money. Mm-hmm. I think Barcelos will bring the absolute heat. And ultimately, I think he's going to be the one to get it done inside the distance, but I'm much happier just taking the plus money under. For me, man, the best bet, I'm going to go back to taking Tanner Bozer. What I've seen of OSP at heavyweight, I just don't like so much, man. You know, the, the cardio looked really bad against um, Ben Rothwell. You could literally, I know we, I don't think we had a crowd, you could hear him breathing inside mm-hmm. the octagon. Um, and then you talked about how Tanner Bozer is just itching to get back in there, man, and, and make up for his last performances. I think Tanner Bozier could come out here and put that volume on OSP and could potentially get him out of there. I like it. That's going to conclude the podcast, man. I appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Make sure to hit that like button, sub to the channel if you haven't. Hop in those comments and let us know who you guys have on Saturday. Hope you're cashing some tickets with us. Peace.